Ron and Anian. It may be something, you know, you've really got to bring up at the point of purchase, and you really want to address. If there's a spare tire available for that vehicle, I think it's worth having it at, at pretty much any price. The Car Doctor. I did that with the spare tire on the 08 Silverado three years ago, and I don't miss the storage space in the back. The spare tire is secure, and if I ever get a flat tire in the snow, I'll be ready. I'll have a nice dry tire to, to, to drag out of the back instead of having to crawl underneath in the snowbank. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. I'm Ronnie the car doctor at the helm, 855-560-9900. Good Lord, the phones are backed up. This is worse than uh, traffic at the Lincoln Tunnel. Oh, wait, New York wouldn't know about that. Let's get on over and talk to Mike in Danella, New Jersey, and uh, see what's going on here at some turbocharger conversation. Michael, welcome, Hey, sir. Ron, good to talk to you again. I yes, hope sir. your Thanksgiving was well. It was good. Yours? Uh, tremendous, yeah. tremendous. Right. Um, I notice a lot more companies are offering turbo motors now. Uh, ranging all the way from that uh, smart car with the turbo all the way up through dual turbos on the uh, Alfa Romeo, Giulietta. Yep. yep. And uh, Ford Expedition. I, I think Ford Expeditions are a dual, dual turbo uh, vehicle as well. Yeah, they got a V6 in that with yeah. that uh, 3.5. Yeah, nothing will go wrong with that. That'll last forever. Go ahead. Well, just, just as a uh, curious thought here, I know uh, years back you had to take special precautions with turbos. I don't know if the, that's still the case, but with the EcoBoost motor, for example, they've been having some problems with that, um, loading up with gas. If you have it in high gear and you tromp on it when you're on the highway, I don't know why you would do that, but uh, you should downshift. But uh, do you have any, like, uh, Special advice to people who buy turbos, or do you think they're pretty much foolproof today? I think turbos are better today than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. I think a turbo vehicle, though, does expose the owner to the liability of, of increased oil changes. Just listen, just my opinion, just based on what I'm seeing, all right? Uh, I, I, we, we change oil on more than a few turbo cars, and I, I have noticed that turbo engines, that oil gets tired faster. It gets tired looking and tired feeling. Haven't done a scientific analysis on it because I think the time it's going to take to do that, I might as well change the oil. But seat of the pants mechanic now, do you stuff. Think there are any any manufacturers that make a better turbo than others? No, I think uh, I think the turbo is only as good as the car that it's sitting on. All right, yeah, and, that's and exactly and, my point. Yeah, and it's it's. I still think maintenance becomes a very critical thing. I think if you're driving anything turbo, it's an oil change every five thousand miles. You know, but Mike, it's it's if you're planning to keep the car. What's the long-term plan? Are you leasing the car? Are you going to keep the car two and a half, three years, and then throw it away? You know what? Change the oil as per the manufacturer's spec. Chances are you'll get away with it. I wouldn't want to own that car at 80, 90, 100,000 miles. I wouldn't want to see what kind of condition it's in. I, w- I definitely wouldn't want that car at 200,000 miles because I, you know, I think along the lines that today's cars are good for a quarter million miles with proper care and maintenance. And, yeah, you know what, maybe at 150,000 miles you're going to put a transmission in something. And, you know, maybe at 200,000 miles you'll put a rear axle in, in, a, in a rear-wheel drive vehicle. But I think with proper oil, 
proper care. Um, you know, a good oil. Uh, you know, let's let's talk about Pennzoil for a minute. Pennzoil didn't go through all their research and development for their Pennzoil synthetic just because they wanted to, because they knew that there was a need for it. All right, and you know, part of what Pennzoil does from that perspective is they made a cleaner, better oil from national get ga- natural gas derivatives, and all that affects longevity of the vehicle. All right, and that's my point. Um, to your point, do I think they need more maintenance? Yes. Do I think that using good quality stuff is key? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big part of the puzzle, but I don't think people understand that. I think the key to maintenance or, or one of the conversations you have to have with people about maintenance is before you enter the conversation, it's like politics today, right? You know, it's like at, at our Thanksgiving table, we, we, we set the rules. We're not talking sports, politics, religion. Um, sex, uh, you know, it was like, what do you want to talk about? We can talk about cars. Cars are pretty safe. But then I had to put the caveat in there. Um, you've got to tell me before we start the conversation, is it a lease car? You own the car. It's your relative's car. Do you care about it? You know, you've got to give me some parameters because all of that affects the marketplace and, 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 and how I'm going to talk about it. Uh, you know, again, if it's a lease vehicle, Follow whatever the manufacturer says, because you notice the manufacturers, you ever notice how the manufacturers all talk about you never have to do anything to that car for the first 30, 40, 50,000 miles? And then you I go, wouldn't want to buy it, though, after, after some Well, yeah, you know, and, and whether they're right or wrong or not, and I don't know that they're all right, and I don't know that they're all wrong, but you go into the dealers for service and warranty in that first 40, 50,000 miles, and they're selling services. Well, wait a minute. The manufacturer doesn't call for that, but the dealer does. And I think in some cases the dealer is right. The dealer knows things that the manufacturer may or may not want their marketing department to talk about because guess what? The manufacturer wants to sell a car, all right? But the the service department's trying to do their job and maintain the car. Where I think the service department crosses the line is I've seen cars going at 15,000-mile services and they want to do power steering flushes. And then they want to do power steering flushes on cars that don't have power steering. It's electric power steering. Um, you know, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for somebody to come in and show me a report where the where the dealership said we had to do an electron flush. Uh, you know, that'll be the next thing. We'll we'll do a battery reset and electron flush to fix the to fix the power steering. So, but just oh, that'll happen for sure. Yeah, that just just my two cents, Mike. I I, I think it. I think the turbo cars do require a bit more maintenance. I think they do require. Uh, you know, better grades of parts, Pennzoil, Wicks. I start thinking about the name brand parts that you want to use, Bosch. You know, Bosch makes a heck of a line of auto parts, BoschAutoParts.com. And, you know, we're, Have we're, you worked on a new Volvo with the uh, the supercharger and turbo yet? No, not yet. You know, and... Uh, that's that's going to be something, well, I think. Well, and, and, you know, you talk about Volvo in terms of, you know, th- look, they've just developed a new supercharger, turbocharger, etc., and yet, isn't it in a couple of years Volvo is going to stop producing a combustion engine and go all electric? And there you, go. You, you wonder what they're thinking. I haven't looked at Volvo as a car line in a couple of years now, simply because you know they they're I don't know if they're significant enough anymore, Mike. You know they didn't they didn't sell half a million cars a couple of years back. Less than half a million cars. That's that's nothing. Um, that makes Chrysler feel good because I think they're a little bit ahead of them. But, you know, Volvo is a very small piece of the American <laughs> car market now. Uh, you know, listen, if Chrysler keeps going the way they're going, they're going to be less of it, less of a player in the marketplace. So. Well, it's always good to talk to you, Ron, and have, you, have yourself a good Christmas. You too, Mike. Christmas holiday. You too, Mike. You take good care and, uh, you know, be well. Um, yeah, it, it, it comes back, you know, it comes back to parts. 
All right. It comes back to maintenance. They still need maintenance. Um, you know, think of it like this. If every new car wasn't ever going to break, they wouldn't need service departments. And this radio show would be off the air. So if anybody wants to get me off the air, they're going to have to come up with a car that never breaks down. We don't have anything to talk about. Of course, I could probably outlive it. I got another 10, 15 years in me, I figure. But in any event, so Anthony, you had a question. So did you want to talk about football just a little bit? NY? What's what's is that NY or is that no? So Anthony and Tom are in mourning, folks. Um, and I agree. You know what? I think Eli got a bad deal. But but the other side of the coin is they're 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 trying to bet they're trying to see what what part of Gino actually comes home from Oakland tomorrow. Um, up, oh, we're going to get a comment here. Yes, boys. That was we are the unknown Giants fans. Oh, is that what it is? Uh, yes. Well, I know who, that we didn't want to look at you anymore. Uh, well, either that one or the other. So, um, listen. At the end of the day, all those guys are still making more money than all of us, so it doesn't really matter what happens to them. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Running into the car doctor. Coming back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the Andy the Car Doctor rolling along. Let's get over and talk to Dave in Ohio, 06 Mustang, and some problems with a uh, charging system. Dave, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Hey, uh, I've got a 2006 Mustang uh, 4.0, uh, the V6. Okay. Uh, I bought it new. It's always been garage kept, uh, you know, 70,000 miles. Uh, Try to baby it a little bit, but uh, <laughs> the last year, to, you know, I went through a couple alternators and, and one battery, um, but but the main thing is, like, we don't drive it a lot, you know, maybe once a week, and, right. and the miles, you know, aren't very high. But um, we know a lot of times the battery is uh, just, you know, charged, not charging. You know, we go out in the car, you know, after not driving it for, you know, four or five days, and the CD player may be going like crazy. Before, you know, we open the door, uh, we can tell the lights on the dash are a little bit dim. Um, you know, we just drove the car maybe a few days before, and it was fine. And this has happened multiple times. Uh, the car won't turn over, but be, but before I even put the key in the ignition, the CD player is acting like it's changing CDs and just making all kind of humming sounds and okay, almost so like a, almost like a ghost in the car, you know. So so the reason the battery is dead is because there's an electrical draw, and it it it, it it sounds like the CD player is getting activated and it's hunting around for whatever reason. Has has anybody tried any kind of diagnosis? Um, no, but, but the, but, but the alternators too seem, I've been, you know, basically three since the car is new and I don't, I did go online and I've seen, you know, online where they said that there is maybe some computer issues with the 2005, 2006 Mustang wiring issues. I don't know if you have, have had any I've experiences seen, with those. I've got to tell you, I've seen more wiring issues and alternator problems than PCM problems. It's okay. it, it, in in my book. It's rare for the PCM to cause a charging system issue on this vehicle when you compare it to the other numbers. But let's back up a second. There is, you know, you can check this car for a fault code. It'll it'll set a P zero six twenty two for a low charge rate or a charging circuit issue. All right, and I'd be right. curious to see if it's there before we just start assuming it's alternators and, and so forth. There's a couple of things I'd like you to do. All right, uh-huh. N- yeah. number number one. The alternator that that you replaced, you said you did three in the last year. Uh, well, um, three, but I've got another. One. It's going to be four since the car's been new, but two in the last year. What, <laughs> okay. Two. Can I can I ask you what brand? And I don't, I don't care who it is. Just tell the truth. Who was it? 
Well, I will tell you that they were they were Amazon, but I don't have it off the top of my head. So right. I, that's one thing I was going to say. Maybe I should go the, you know what I mean, the uh, the other route, maybe spend the extra nickel. You know what I right. mean? Right. Well, and that's yeah. that's you know that's that's part of the problem. One of the things I learned, gosh, it's got to be twenty twenty five years ago. Um, I've been fixing cars forty three years, and I'll never forget the day or the year that I kind of re- I, I I went through this. It was back in the late nineties, and we were still dealing with General Motors and vacuum controls and digital signals, and everything was a lab scope test. This and you know it was all, and it was so difficult repairing cars to make that transition into what we have now. When I realized that part of the battle we're fighting is we spend a lot of time proving the part we just bought if it was any good, and a lot of times it wasn't because it was a it was a crummy part. And, right. you know, it was we were all about everybody wanted cheap and the industry kind of grew up. Uh, everybody has learned the value of buying a good quality part. And, you know, that's 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 a huge part of this. Um, I would yeah. I would take a hard look at the quality of the part as well as wiring on the vehicle. I have seen some wiring issues. But, for example, the computer controls the field on that alternator in the charging system based on demand. And we'll turn the alternator on and off. But if memory serves me correct, over 2,500 RPM, that alternator charges like any alternator all day long. Right. All right. It, 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 it doesn't rely on the computer. What they're doing is they're using the computer below 2,500 RPM to vary the field, to vary the rate that the alternator charges at. Because guess why? They're chasing fuel economy. Right. They're, yeah. they're, they're chasing load on the engine. So it, and it's never thrown a code or anything. I mean, which I understand. I've never right. seen like a battery light or anything. But but I think <laughs> you've got I think you've got something else going on here, uh, Dave. So here's what I here's what I want to do. All right, I, I I want you to charge the battery. Use a battery charger. Charge the battery. Get it up to level. All right. Okay. R- run a good load test. Okay. Put a load test yes. on it. Write down the results. It passes. It passes. It fails. Put a battery in the car. Get a good quality battery. You got a you got a, you got an O'Reilly Auto Parts by you? Oh yes, yes. Yeah. We got an O'Reilly. Got all of them. You know. <laughs> R- run over to an O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask them. Hey, listen. I'm trying to diagnose a problem. I want to start with good parts. What's a good battery? Get a good battery. All right. Um, okay. you, you know. Hopefully, you find something with power frame grid technology in it. You've heard me talk about it. And what power oh, frame sure. grid technology? Oh, sure. And and what power frame grid technology is? And you know, if we're going to put a battery in it, let's put the good stuff. All right. <laughs> right. And then right. you know, let's let's start there. And then from there, then we'll start to look at the rest of it. When the battery's disconnected, do you have a voltmeter? Yes, and I have done that. Like, well, I'm sorry, the alternators I have checked when I did get them. You know, they're putting out about fourteen and a half volts. Okay, but do you have you, know. you, you have a voltmeter and you can measure? Can you can you do a current test? You know, a current draw test. Have you ever done that? Uh, yes, yes, I can. Okay, so let's let's do a milliamp draw test. We want to you know we want to hook the meter up. Um, you know, negative or positive, whichever way you want to believe the electrons flow. Tom's yelling at me going, it's negative, it's negative. I go, no, it's positive, it's positive. So Tom's yeah. a negative guy. Um, he's a Giants fan. So, yeah. you know, you want to make sure that, you know, you just hooked up in series. And let's do a draw test, all right? I can't tell you there's a time frame. I can tell you my experiences with Ford tells me that typically within 15 to 35 minutes, most Fords will drop under 50 milliamps. Okay, and and, it, and if that's what we see, then great. You know what? Then we don't have a draw. Now, if you want to do it long term, all right. I don't know what kind of volt 
you know, DVOM digital voltometer you have, if it's got a min-max function on it, most of the meters with min-max function won't turn off, and they'll run continuously. So you could actually leave that car on a draw test overnight and leave it in min-max mode, and when you come down the next morning, you'll see it went as high as this and as low as that. All right. Yeah, well, my, it, mine's not that fancy, but okay. yeah, I, <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yes, I do. Yes, you know, I do. The, the, the nice thing is, and, and obviously the key is, you wait until it drops under minimum, and then you put it on min max because you want to record the maximum after that. I'm curious to see if the CD player turns on. All right. Right. Now, right. on the chance that the CD player doesn't turn on, all right, and you get it, you get a, you get an acceptable reading. You're less than 50 milliamps. All right. Then let's figure out how to disconnect the CD player. Whether it's the radio, the CD player is one unit. Let's just disconnect it. Does right? The, it is. The, it is factory, and I, I believe I already looked on the. I know what fuse controls. You know. Okay. That particular, well, so. I'd, I'd rather not pull a fuse if I don't have to, because right. I or I want to be sure that nothing else is on that fused circuit. I want to eliminate you know component by component. So if I can, yeah. if I can. Pull, you know, the connector. If I can pull the radio out of the dash and leave it disconnected, you want to listen. You want to listen to the sound of the engine. Enjoy driving the car. You don't need the radio. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, remember, it's a V six, right. not a V eight. You know, you're, you're married. You got a partner. Talk to her. You know, it's like have conversation. Have a have have a romantic evening going for a ride in the car, and leave it disconnected. See if the draw problem goes away. If, right. if if the draw goes away, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad radio, CD player, etc. It just means whatever's controlling that circuit has got an issue. Something's causing that to turn on, okay? And at gotcha. least it gives you a direction, all right? Right. You know, okay. last, you've got to make sure the alternator is charging correctly. 14 volts or 14 and a half volts is a good start, but you've got to figure out a way to measure amperage. So you're going to have to talk to Santa and get him to bring you like a clamp uh, a clamp on amp probe or something so you can actually measure current uh, on the charging system to see what the alternator's putting out. All right. By the way, while you're at O'Reilly Auto Parts, ask them about a good alternator, too, and see what brands they have. Maybe they've got something from Bosch, BoschAutoParts.com, and you can kind of get a, a good alternator in the car as well. I'm Ron Annie in the car, Doctor. I'm coming back right after this. Don't go away. The car doctor rolling along. Let's get over and talk to Matt in Columbus, Ohio, 94 Buick Roadmaster. Matthew, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron, what's going on, man? Not Thanks much. for taking my hand. You're welcome. Uh, it's, yeah, it's the Roadmaster. First, so I want to stress uh, how right you were about how much of a pain in the neck it is to do a tune up on one of those things. Oh, it's, 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 it's a religious event. Um, oh. it, it really is because you're, you're, you, you incorporate God into that tune up a lot of times. It's very religious. You know, oh God, oh my God, and uh, a few other thoughts. But um, yeah, that's a that's a tough tune-up. It's just it's unbelievable. For everybody not familiar, this is the uh, 350LT1 motor, spark plug wires down underneath the distributor cap behind the water pump, uh, distributor behind the water pump. It's just it's just absolutely insane. Uh, you know, uh, you've just you got to live it to to. And I can't imagine. You know what, Matt? I've never done that service on a Corvette. I've always done it on wagons and caprices and impalas. I can't imagine what that's like to do on a vet. That's got to be really insane, you know, yeah, not not mechanic friendly. So, but anyway, what's going on? How can I help you today? Well, now the right now the, the passkey light, the anti theft light is is usually on, 
every now it intermittently goes off actually, but it's it's typically on. There's no problem starting it. There's no drivability issues, but um, it's just kind of concerns me. So I my first thought was maybe I should kind of disconnect the battery, and maybe it's some kind of glitch. But I kind of at the same time. Nah. So let's it. let's do this. Do you have the ability to scan codes? Can you look at the BCM? I I do, but I nothing came up. Okay, so we have no and, and I don't mean OBD two. I mean you're going in manufacturer specific. You're telling the scan tool ninety four Buick Roadmaster, and you're looking at BCM for faults or PCM for faults. You know, it'd be nice. Here's a case of an older vehicle. If we could scan all the modules and and just to see if there's anything there. You've done that. There's nothing there. Correct. Right. Okay. You got a tilt column? Does this car have a tilt wheel? It does, yeah. All right. All right. Um, you could try to catch it at the moment when it's not, you know, when the light's not on. And right. you could just, you know, not, obviously not while you're driving. Um, I would hate to see you do that. But, you know, when it's not on, just take the tilt wheel, pull the lever, and just, you know, up and down, up and down, back and forth. Does wiggling the tilt aggravate? the anti-theft system and cause it to come on. And 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 if it does, it's likely, I mean, it's likely this anyway, but it's just one way of showing it. It's likely there are two thin wires. When I say thin, they're anorexic. I mean, they're just, it's, it's amazing how thin these wires are that they come up to the ignition lock cylinder and they provide, they read, they, they carry the resistance value data from the ignition key down to the BCM so it can decide if it's really Matthew with the right key trying to start the car. And yeah. those those wires break either at the lock cylinder, they fall off the solder tab, or if somebody is a heavy tilt wheel user, you know, you, you flex something often enough, guess what happens? It breaks. Yeah. And, 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 and that's a possibility. Third thought, do you have a digital voltometer? Yeah. Okay. Look at, look at your ignition key. You see how there's a, a, a black chip in it? Yeah, and, and actually, uh, Ron, I did that. And I have three keys all together, two spares. Okay. And I, all of them. I yeah. tried all of them. No, no, that's that's okay. That, and that's fine, but that's not what I was going to say. What I was going to say was measure the resistance value of that key. And I guess you could check all the keys. They should all be similar, okay? Um, they are. And, you know, measure the resistance value. And it, well, I guess it, we used to go to Radio Shack. I don't know where you get resistors anymore, but go out and get a resistor that matches the key. Go down to the base of the steering column. You can actually do this test two ways. Go down to the base of the steering column and find the connector that carries those two white wires. It might be part of a, a separate. It might be. I I think they're on their own in '94, but it might be also part of another connector assembly. And just unplug that connector. With the key in the lock cylinder, measure the resistance value at the connector at the base of the column. It should read within 10 ohms of whatever it is just at the at the chip at the key itself. All right? Yeah. If it's more than 10 ohms, and typically if it's more than 10 ohms, it's going to be like, you know, 300 ohms more. It's going to be way out. All right? Um, we usually ended up taking the column apart and looking at the lock cylinder and finding a problem there. But on the chance that it measures within 10 ohms and everything there is good, and while you've got it, the meter hooked up and you're measuring your resistance value, you're going to rock the tilt wheel back and forth. You're going to kind of abuse it and make it angry. And, you know, you're still going to see that 
it's within 10 ohms, you're going to go, okay, the lock cylinder's good, the wiring's good, you're going to write a letter to GM and thank them because you got the one car that it actually works on, all right? And then you're going to take that resistor that you bought, and you're going to go across the harness on the other side. You with me? Yes. So you're going to, you know, let's say it's, and it's not going to be, but let's say it's 2 ohms. You're going to go out and get a 2-ohm resistor, and you're going to put that 2-ohm resistor across the harness on the other side, so the BCM is always going to think your key is in the car. Yeah, there's a, actually, I know exactly what you mean. There's a really good video on YouTube right. explaining right. that whole thing. Now, that the, the downside is anybody could steal your 94 Buick Roadmaster. The, yeah. the, the good news is I don't think anybody's going to do it anytime soon. Yeah, I, I don't think you so. Know, um, you know, the only person that might need it is, uh, um, well... Whatever. I'm sure Eli's got enough money to carry him through the rest of the year, at least. But, um, you know, he's not that desperate yet. Although he's out of a job, so I don't know. He might be looking for a car. Good Buick. Put Eli in a Buick. We're doing Buick commercials instead of Toyota. Um, But that's, you know, that's how I would do it. Now, if the car runs okay with that resistor across the harness at the base of the column like that, then, you know, there's no more lights. Then you know the problem is this way. All right. You know, you know that the column from the column, uh, the connector to the top of the column, that's all good. The problem is that way towards the BCM. All right, and then you can you know treat treat the harness accordingly. But I think you're going to find usually the problems were in the column, the wiring, the lock cylinder, you know something along those lines. Once in a while, you found a bad BCM, and the only way, the easiest way to find that is is hook up a scan tool. You can go into BCM, look at anti-theft and key serial data, and I forget the exact PID. It's something along the lines of, I can read it, I can't read it. And while you're driving along, all of a sudden the light goes on, you'll see the BCM go, wait, I don't see the key anymore. And then you know at that point, if you've got it bypassed with the resistor, that it's from there to there and not the other way, if you follow what I'm saying. Make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, But that's that's how I'd approach it. So, Okay. All right, kiddo? All right, thanks, Ron. You're very welcome, Matt. You're very welcome. Take good care. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and the Car Doctor rolling along. Let's go talk to Paul Stanton, Virginia, with some thoughts. Paul, you've got some thoughts. Ron and Indian at your service, sir. How can I help? Yes, hi, Ron. Uh, Yeah, on a a few subjects, actually. Uh, The first... The autonomous cars, and uh, you know, at some point, you know, like we all saw saw how like GM came out with an airbag back in I think '73. Now it's law, right? Right. Um, so these autonomous cars, at some point, if that becomes law, that's going to do away with cars like Mustangs and Corvette. You know, Icon. Yep. I mean, that wants to buy a Mustang and have it drive itself. Well, who wants to buy an electric car and listen to it do this? You know, where's the yeah. where, where's the sound? I mean, imagine, you know, what you're going to go out and buy a Corvette, a performance electric Corvette and it's going to do this. Doesn't that sound exciting? Yeah. But, but well, I understand with the uh with Tesla for instance, uh there is the option of uh, having like a um a, a made up sound that and and how how well it works, I don't know. I haven't I haven't been in a Tesla, but uh, it, from what I understand, it's possible you can push a button and uh, it will put sound effects in there that kind of corresponds with what you're doing with the vehicle. Yeah, I've heard that. 
But, you know, yeah. I, I think where it's going to go, Paul, and I don't want to get on my political soapbox, but but I, I think what's going to happen is maybe not in my lifetime, but I think in time the country, you know, you're right, autonomous cars will all of a sudden become law. It'll become this is what everybody's got to have, this is what we're doing, because I remember 10 years ago I started noticing how a lot of young people today, kids, 17, 18, they don't get their driver's license. They don't want it. And it boggles my mind. They don't want to drive. They want to be driven. And as they get older, their views are going to become the policies that control Congress. Let's face it. As you and I age, you know, our policies, our views get looked upon more. We've reached that point in society where, you know, at, at this level, they listen to us more because we're older than the, the 18-year-old kids. But those 18-year-old kids are going to get to be 30-year-old kids and 40-year-old kids and so on. And, yeah, at some point, autonomous cars are going to be the way of the future. And it's it's going to become mandated. And they're going to do it, in my opinion, that we've got to have autonomous cars. We need electric autonomous cars to clean up the environment because we've got an environment issue. And I'm not here to debate whether we do or don't, but that's going to be the platform on how it's done. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a sad state of affairs. We're going to lose a lot of history and a lot of culture, judging by the way, uh, by the way, the country's going. I got a feeling pretty soon we'll be burning Corvettes in effigy, because uh, they were big polluters back in the '60s. You know, we're gonna we're gonna look at our history and not pay attention to it. So, um, yeah, if the uh, if that same technology could be used as like behavior tool, that way, when uh, when you turn when you uh, turn a key to accessory position. Then you'd get a score for how well you handled the driving situations that you were in. Uh, but it'd have to be uh, letting you know what your score is when the key is turned to the accessory position, the vehicle is stopped and the engine is turned off. Yeah. It's, and it... then, you know, because people respond to those kinds of things. I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not an electronic game person, but a lot of people are. And... So they, they, they look upon that as like a reward for driving better. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like if they were to if they were to be using a cell phone, well, that would just knock the points down to zero. <laughs> well, or negative numbers. I don't think, listen, I don't think people could drive without a cell phone anymore. I think that's become an essential part of the, uh, an, an essential part of the landscape. You had some comments about uh, spare tires, Paul, before I let you go? Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, what you were saying about spare tires and a lot of vehicle manufacturers now, they don't include a spare. And <clears throat> there are a lot of vehicles today, uh, not just SUVs and trucks, but a lot of other vehicles as well, that are all-wheel drive. And it is essential that they be of all the same size. If you have a road hazard situation, now you've lost one tire and your spare is either non-existent or it's a donut, now you've got to buy four tires. So when you buy tires, it's a good idea to buy five. Even if there's no place to put that fifth tire, keep it in the garage, and when you go to have your tires rotated, bring that tire out, throw it in the back, and get that put in the mix. Uh, that way, if you have a road hazard situation, you still have four tires. Right. The only pro- The only problem with that is... You know, if that tire is unmounted, the cost to mount and dismount that other tire at time of rotation, or let's say you buy the rim, whether it's, whether it's a steel rim or an aluminum rim, 
I don't think anybody's going to want to spend. And I agree with you. I don't think you're wrong. But cost is going to come into it because people aren't going to want to spend that hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred dollars on one rim. That's you know, you know what I mean. But it's it would be a lot. Yeah. It would be a lot simpler if we figured out how to just give everybody a better spare tire or any kind of a spare tire, because no spare in a run flat to me is a recipe for disaster. Um, you know, let me ask the question this way: You're in Virginia, right? Yeah, rural part of the country. How many? How yep. many? How many roads are near you? Just out of curiosity, if you're driving a vehicle that's got no spare and 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 an inflator kit, and you know you hit a pothole, you're on rough road, and you gouge the tire. How many roads are? You, how many roads are around you that you're going to be walking for a good half hour, forty minutes, an hour? Yeah, it's uh, well, I'm I'm five miles from you know any place that you could you know get a tire. Right. Uh, in in two directions and another direction is far more than that. But, right. Uh, so yeah, how how long it takes you to uh, to walk five miles? That would take a little while. Right. Ten o'clock at night. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, not having a spare tire becomes a life and death situation. And sure, that, you and, want to and, right. And that's my problem with all this. You know, in the interest of emissions and fuel economy. To a degree, we're giving up some of the safety and security that an automobile used to afford us. So, but um, in any event, Paul, I got to go. I'm up against the clock. I enjoy talking to you as always, sir. Take care of that Bronco too. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. The car doctor's coming back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the end of the car doctor. Real quick, let's go over and see Mark in Knoxville, Tennessee. Mark, Knoxville, Tennessee. Hello. Good, sir. How are you? What's going on? I've got an 89 F-150, uh, 4.9 liter. It's got the twin gas tanks, and today I was uh, I, I was out to, at the trash receptacle. I had the engine running, and gasoline was coming out of the front tank around the gas cap. And I, I was on the rear tank, and I flipped it to the front tank, and the gas stopped coming out. Okay. I flipped to the back tank, and the gas starts pouring out of the Right. Oh, the where you, where you fill it up? Probably a bad switching valve, but I can tell you how to test it and what's critical for this car. Switching switching valves, you know, there's a valve there. When you hit that switch, there's a there's a it goes this way and then that way. There's mm-hmm. a there's a gazinta that changes where the fuel comes from and where it goes. Um, they were very common to fail, but one of the one of the tests back in the day when there were more of these was we would take the lines off from the tank, you know, where the where the, where it comes out of the pump. Yeah, and we would hook up a fuel pressure gauge, and we—I think we can do this at the switching valve, if I remember correctly. The two lines that feed the switching valve, we would hook a fuel pressure gauge up one at a time at the tank or at that switching valve, and just cycle the key. Don't crank it; just cycle the key, just to build a little bit of pressure, five, six, seven pounds of pressure. Then turn the key off. It should release pressure. All right. You want to make sure that when you turn whatever it is you're using to trigger the pump. When you turn it off, the pump doesn't hold pressure. If those pumps hold pressure, they'll affect how that switching valve works. All right? So you've got to look at that. If they both release pressure, suspect the switching valve. You can do a wiring check with a diagram and kind of go from there. Call me back for more info. I'm running a car doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. 